Welcome to the CME Now Special Edition Podcast. I'm Kelsey Coleman here with my co-host, David Ludlum, and we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Instructor of English, John Nizalowski. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Did I say your last name right? You said it very well. <laughs> Perfect. I, I'm excited to interview you today because I actually have a degree in English from right. CNU. Yes. Yeah, I'm, so I'm aware I, of that. Yeah, I remember the classes. And <laughs> um, what, is your, what, what is your specialty within the department? Well, um, my, I have kind of two areas. The, the main area that I am sort of the department person of is creative nonfiction. So that's the creative writing um, approach to nonfiction, the creative nonfiction essay. Uh, that's what most of my publications are in. And in addition to that, though, I teach the mythology classes. Mythology. So mythology is kind of my other um, area of expertise, even though... Um, I'm not a classicist by training, so that's been kind of acquired <laughs> uh, over the years. Um, but uh, I'm an essayist and a poet, uh, primarily, and uh, a creative writer, prim primarily. Do you think creative writing is learned, or is that something that you're just kind of born with? It's, it's a combination. I, I think people need to have uh, an innate creative ability that uh, they can work with, but um, it's not entirely, I mean, you know, great writers aren't just, you know, hatched, right? <laughs> you know, they, they need to be trained. And, and in the old days, it was an apprenticeship, you know, a writer, a young up and coming writer would become friends with other writers that were more accomplished and they would learn from those writers. I mean, if you look at Ernest Hemingway, right, uh, <clears throat> there's that wonderful series now on public television, the, the Ken Burns series on Hemingway. It's very, very good. And, you know, he, as a, as a young man, uh, you know, 20, 22 years old, uh, befriends, um, you know, Ezra Pound and Gertrude Stein and James Joyce and, and uh, Sherwood Anderson. And he learns, you know, from these people. Um, now we have, you know, creative writing programs. So uh, uh, that's that's a, a different kind of path, you could say. Um, one that's more, you know, academic, more uh, in a school setting, but it does the same kind of thing. You know, you, you come into, you know, say my classes and we do workshops on, on essay writing and, um, you know, we, we workshop the student pieces and, and uh, uh, the students get to hear from each other and from me, you know, uh, what their strengths are and what uh, they could use some work with. <laughs> So you talk a lot about creative writing, but you also mentioned on the front end of the discussion that you specialize in mythology. Yes. And yes. I, I wanted to ask you something about that. You know, I know from there's people who have taken Carl Jung's work and have gone from there. And, and some have surmised that like the mythological constructs may be so deeply embedded in us that it could potentially even be in our DNA because you just see it yes. in movies and in films and in oral traditions. And, right. and they're the same stories over and over. Can you talk yes. about what those stories are and how they manifest in culture and in people? And, and do you believe they could be part of our 
physiology. Even. Yes, I, I yes I do uh, believe that they are part of our physiology. Um, wow, there's there's uh, you know there's the whole archetypal field. Um, I guess we'll start with you know what what is the basis of Jung's concept, and it is that uh, our nervous systems interact with the physical world. Um, every human being's nervous system is essentially the same. And this intersection, this, this place where the outer world and the inner world, you know, the inner world brings that outer world in, creates the foundation of our consciousness. That intersection creates as well certain key uh, images or, you know, he, he called them, ar again, archetypes, which is uh, architectural types, right? You know, structural types. And these are things like duality or um, uh, satiation or, uh, you know, um, uh, nurturing, right? You know, all these very essential, basic experiences he argued that forms our collective unconscious, our, our deep unconscious. These structures then come up through uh, what he called the personal unconscious, which is uh, all of our forgotten and repressed you know, memories and desires and experiences. And then it comes up into consciousness, right? Uh, as it does that, we dress them up with the uh, images of our society, so um, the father archetype, which is a fundamental uh, physical experience, uh, becomes Odin and Yahweh and um, Zeus and Indra and, you know, on and on and on. And the fundamental uh, birth experience and the fundamental... Um, embracing of uh, the nurturing of the earth, right, becomes the Virgin Mary and uh, Demeter and um, the corn maidens of, of, of the uh, Pueblo Indians and, and on and on and on, right, you know, and, and, this, and this is how these archetypes then enter the culture and enter our stories. Well, so a question for you, and you can maybe tell where I fall on this a little bit as a layperson, but that what you just described seems so unbelievably useful, practical mm -hmm. and intuitive. Mm -hmm. But I know that and it, and it blends together maybe the humanities and the sciences in a nice way. So how, sure. why are some maybe so hostile towards Jungian, Jungian ideas? Was it his pr process or was it, what did he do that made so many people upset? <laughs> yes, he certainly made people upset. Um, uh, Freud fame, do you know the famous uh, encounter of Freud and, and Jung uh, in America? Uh, and uh, Freud accused him of, of trying to kill him, uh, you know, metaphorically, you know, <laughs> in an Oedipal fashion. And uh, because, of course, Jung was a disciple of Freud's. And uh, but Jung took it further. Right. You know, he went deeper. Um, I think the reason why Jung really pushes people's buttons <laughs> is that his psychology has this edging over into metaphysics. And 
if you're a strongly kind of logical positivist style scientist, right, or psychologist, that's going to really rub you the wrong way, right? You know, this this kind of merging of the psyche with the gods. You know, he he famously said one time, whether you call it an archetype or an angel, uh, it really doesn't make any difference. The 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 effect is the same, right? You know, the encounter is the same. Um, and yeah, that, you know, that doesn't sit well with people that have a very um, rational, uh, logical, positivist uh, sense, sense of the world. It's unfortunate because, you know, Jung had many uh, uh, compatriots and, and adherents who were, some of them were physicists, you know, some of them were um, biologists, you know, people who were very scientifically minded. Uh, found Jung's ideas very compelling, you know. Um, it's it can be a little frustrating. <laughs> and what are some what are some uh, themes that we are are finding that repeat over and over, time and time again, throughout literature, pop culture? Sure. What are we What are we seeing? And are you talking about that in your classes? Oh today? yeah, I do absolutely. Yeah, in in my mythology class, uh, pretty early in the semester, I do a. Uh, PowerPoint lecture on um, the the four basic archetypal patterns uh, or categories, I should say, I should call them categories. Um, and that's the shadow, uh, <clears throat> which is our unrealized self. It's it's our projection of, of what's in us that we don't understand or object to. The anima, which is the feminine image in the masculine consciousness, the animus, which is the masculine image in the feminine consciousness, right? And then the self, which is our um, fullest potential is the easiest way to describe that. And um, the, these four categories then create many kinds of character types and so forth. Like the shadow, my, my absolute favorite example of that is Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty, Right. You know, and um, from from the original stories to the the, uh, you know, BBC uh, recent uh, series. Right. They, they play with that. These are two people who are equally brilliant and equally, um, uh, you know, mastery of the mind way beyond anyone else. But Holmes does his logic in terms of or in, in uh, defense of the society. And Moriarty is the Napoleon of crime, right? you know? So they even look alike in, in the story, in the, in the um, Arthur Conan Doyle story. They even look alike. It's like they're looking at a mirror when they look at each other, but they're completely opposite in their... Um, their energies, their applications, right, of, of their abilities. Um, then, of course, there's the great, you know, hero's journey pattern that Joseph Campbell um, elucidated and, uh, and others. There's, there's other hero's journey patterns besides Campbell's. And uh, that we see, boy, in everything. I mean, um, George Lucas, um, when he was working out the, uh, the, the whole you know, uh, uh, what's that term for when you're doing a film um, treatment? Screen. He was doing the treatment for the films, uh, the Star Wars films. He had a copy of uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell on his desk. And the whole 
I mean, that's a complicated pattern. We don't have time to go through all the steps, but it's the essential, the hero leaves the home place, goes off into the unknown world where the rules are different. He either um, attains an object, which is a a kind of grail story, or uh, accomplishes a task and then returns and heals the homeland. Well, uh, Luke Skywalker... You know, spoiler alert, <laughs> he goes forth into into the galaxy, right? He um, thinks he's trying to conquer the evil empire. What he's really doing is healing his father, right? You know, uh, he gets to that point. He heals his father and the empire collapses and the homeland is, is, uh, is, is cured, right? You know, um, these are deeply set in our in our consciousness i believe right and so the healing others. the healing of the father yeah you see that in pinocchio and you oh, see yes, that in yes, um the yeah. lion king yeah and you see that yeah. in uh, um braveheart and you see that in all yeah. the gladiator like how how could anyone dispute that these things are not just <laughs> it's it, it, all things that people find compelling have these motifs in them or they're right, right? that there's no not really a lot of exceptions so it seems weird I don't Kelsey, you jump in. I don't know. Yeah. So, okay. Are you, are you, would you, or I guess, would you argue that there are no new stories that uh, every story that we hear <sighs> is being repeated? Wow. Um, it, it's not that there, okay. That's a, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Um, uh, um, and, and, uh, it's, it's a hard one to answer like quickly, but I'll I'll do my best. Okay, so podcast version. <laughs> it's 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 not that there are no new stories, but these patterns are what we build on, right? And then the newness comes from applying new um, masks, you could say, right? To these to these patterns, you know, applying new characters, applying new situations, right? You know, so um, when the ancient Greeks, uh, you know, when Homer writes the Odyssey, right? You know, he's working with the Mediterranean world and he's working with uh, a character who was a a standard uh, trope from the... um, uh, the the Homeric Wars, you know, the Trojan Wars. Um, then we get to today, you know, we get a George Lucas who goes, oh, let's put this in space, right? You know, and it's, yes, it's the same pattern, but it's a new story, right? You know? Could I ask a question about that? So would an example of that be that I, th- I think about it in terms of like having little girls, because I do. If mm-hmm. you had, I have two daughters. Okay, but they're both adults now. Adults. <laughs> well, the structure is like you have Cinderella and you have Snow White, and mm-hmm. and then you have now you have um, Brave and you have Tangled Rapunzel. Sure. Well, the 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 feminine characters of the more modern films take on a more contemporary form of feminism, and the the characters mm-hmm. are more assertive and they do great things. But the the underlying structure of the story and the eatable mother and the, or the, the tyrannical mother behind right. like that's all kind of the same, but, yeah. the, but the characters evolved for a modern sure. society. Is that kind of an example of that? Huh? I, yeah, I would, I would say that that works that way. Um, you know, you, you're taking, again, as I, I said before, as these archetypes move up into our consciousness, we take the, the tropes of our society and dress them up, you know? <laughs> and so, um, 
the the female hero in say uh, a work like um, Parzival by Wolfram von Aschenbach, you know, from 1205, uh, is definitely going to be different from the female hero. Uh, from Wizard of Oz, right? You know, it's 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 that's the turn of the century, turn of the twentieth century. Um, you know, she's she's going to have different abilities. She's going to have a different consciousness. She's going to have a different social um, matrix, right? Uh, than Kondwira um, Moore's, right? <laughs> from from uh, Wolfram von Aschenbach, you know. Uh, but the yet the pattern is is going to hold true you know the pattern is going to stay is going to stay essential it, it's because it's an architecture it's a it's a structure right it's not the it's not the building right it's the it's the um it's the skeleton right the spine <laughs> i'm sorry go ahead oh no i'm 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 thinking you know we're talking about literature we're talking yeah. about film do we find these themes in say music rock and roll for sure. example oh yeah um, and, and rock and roll, because it has lyrics, right, uh, lends itself very nicely to, to archetypal imagery. But, you know, you can find it in operas. You can find it, you know, in, in uh, I mean, the troubadours themselves in the Middle Ages had a certain archetypal uh, role, right, you know, because these archetypes can even be in daily life, you know. Uh, every time we have a human interna- interaction, you know, we're, Projecting archetypes, um, at least according to Carl Jung. <laughs> but um, you know, in terms of rock and roll, um, my my favorite you know rock and roll figure who really takes on the tropes of archetypal imagery is Jim Morrison of the Doors, who um, played a number of roles during his career. Uh, at times he was the shaman, right? You know, the sacred priest figure um, who takes his audience on the journey, you know, into the underworld and then returns, you know, with the revelation. Um, at times he was Dionysus, right? He would take on the the role of the god who... Uh, turns the maenads into crazed, you know, uh, ecstatic women, you know, who are um, dancing around the fire and partaking of the uh, uh, elixir of, you know, the wine mixed with opium, you know, (laughs) of the the ancient Greeks, you know. Um, And and then later in his his career, uh, he almost became really the holy fool. You know, he kind of lost that shamanic you know, power, right? But he had this other role that's um, a very significant role, right? The 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 uh, the fool who brings the truth to us, right? To the listener, you know. Is that like the in the Lion King, the shaman who showed Simba oh. in the in the reflection pool who he was, and and, and even Absolutely. though he was the fool and he was goofing around, he was the one that showed the hero who he could become. Yeah, that, okay. yeah, I like that's that's good. I like that. I have a record player at home, and right now there's a Fleetwood Mac oh, okay. record. There we go. On, <laughs> Which one? On Which there. one is this? Uh, well, okay, so you know, you know the song "Dreams," right? It's made a big comeback, especially like on social media. So. Oh yeah! Didn't somebody do a? Yeah, there's like a TikTok. A TikTok thing with it, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of, I kind of have some awareness of that. Yeah. So that you know that song kind of brought Fleetwood Mac back into right. back into the right. pop culture scene nowadays, sure. even though, of course, like 
all of us in the room, I think of we've always loved Fleetwood Mac. At least I'm obsessed with them, as uh. you can tell. But are you? Are, would you say there's any any of these themes? In any of those songs or any of their albums? Whew. Well, yeah, I, you know, I'm not real familiar with Fleetwood Mac. Um, I, I, ironically, the the music of theirs that I know best is 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 their first incarnation. You know, before the um, uh, Stevie Nicks and whatnot were were part of it. Um, one of the things, though, I can say concerning Fleetwood Mac is they, um, from what I do know of them, is they seem very interested in charting that life journey sense, right? That, I mean, really the hero's journey at heart is the life journey each of us takes, you know? Um, Yes, it's the hero and all of this, but but that's the stories, that's the myths, that's the legends. We're, we're all on a hero's journey, right? You know, we're all our our the hero of our story, and and I notice in their music, I think they do have a, a, a deep interest like, in that sense like of like landslide. The, yeah, like that yeah. Like she takes you on the hero's journey, and yeah. sure, I, I I think so. You know, um, but. Um, um, I, I wish I could be a little more <laughs> concrete than that, but but it does it does strike me that they have that they have that interest, um, and and um, they've always been interested too in in that in that sense of pushing edges um, in their music, you know, within within a popular form. But there, but you know, there's especially the deep tracks. You know, they can they can go into some really interesting directions. Well, you know? maybe I maybe I'm going off the rails here a little bit, but <laughs> I'm thinking. So this is interesting because aside from the music they're actually producing, but if we look at look at the band mm-hmm. as as a story itself, you yes. know, you, and you're saying Absolutely. we're all the our own heroes in our own story. And so when we look at, you know, these, these famous people, uh, whether, no matter when in time, yes. those, those people are also kind of showing this story and this, and the same yeah. themes are occurring over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, this is the thing about, uh, the archetypes is that we, we, um, we play out these, these roles, um, even if we're not aware of this, in fact, often we're not aware of this, you know, that we're playing out these roles and, and, you know, tragically, for instance, John Lennon, right. Who, um, becomes the slain Messiah, you know, and I don't think he chose that certainly, you know, but, but he unconsciously, you know, steps into that role and, um, it, it plays itself out in his life. And, um, uh, he continues to be a kind of icon, you know, for uh, certainly people from my generation, uh, and I think even beyond. Uh, and 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 um, he fulfills a role. He he fulfills a, an, an archetypal role that's very very powerful, um, and that I don't think he was fully, you know. I don't think it was completely his choice, you know. I think I think he stepped onto that path, and then it kind of pulls him in, you know. Well, um, so you, you've covered um, the role of archetypes and the mm-hmm. role of mythology in film and pop culture and and music, and I wanted to ask you if you think that 
um, as these stories play themselves out in our lives and how we, the stories we tell about our own lives and in our art, are there some that are, that act out the archetype better or more perfectly? And by, as a result, maybe they're more powerful. Like for example, Mm, the the literature of the old Testament and the way that it portrays the Exodus story Mm -hmm. seems to be fairly permanent. Like people keep telling it over and over. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe the way that it represents the archetype form wise Mm -hmm. is more sound than lesser representations of the same story that maybe they're in a a movie, but then no one remembers it in five years. (laughs) Like what is it about the one, the archetypes that are perfectly played out that make them so strong Hmm. or something? Boy, that's, yeah, that's a great question. And, and again, one that is hard to answer, you know, quickly. Um, I, I think in a sense, that's part of what in a writing class, you know, we're trying to get to is, is that, is that, you know, is that form, is that representation of the one great story, you know, and Scott Mamaday, I don't know if you know his work, but a brilliant, brilliant uh, Kiowa Indian author. Um, he often says, I, you know, I believe, you know, he has this amazing voice. Uh, you know, I believe we uh, ha- are living through one great story and we're all pieces of that story. Right. You know, so I think, uh, when a myth or a legend or a novel or a film uh, or a play or what have you, or a poem, you know, a narrative poem, uh, um, I think when it really clicks with that zeitgeist of, of, that, of that interaction of the archetype with the social um, uh, structures, right, uh, <clears throat> it, it can really... Uh, endure, right, and become um, a deep part of the cultural uh, consciousness, um, and and uh, some of it is some of it is 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 uh, uh, you know folklore and and legend and myth, and some of it is is created work. You know, in your opinion, would you say that if we are aware of these archetypes? in our everyday lives that Mm -hmm. that that would help shape us and be better, better people. Yeah. That's, that's a tricky part of uh, Jung's uh, concepts. Um, Your psychology friends are listening. (laughs) 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 Um, Because um, Jung wrote that the more aware we become of the archetypal energies around us, um, the, better uh, chance we have, the better possibility we have of attaining what he called individuation, which is a, a reaching the self, capital S, you know, finding this true center of our being. But at the same time, it's also difficult and dangerous, right? You know, there's there's a, an, an, an ease to sort of blocking all this off and, and just not paying much attention to it and just going to Star Wars and, oh, that was a fun movie, right? You know, rather than like, okay, I'm going to drill down and look for the archetypes, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's, he argued it's the only way, the only path in, um, and, and we should all take it. But he also warned that it can stir up things that um, can be disturbing or um, um, can push us into behaviors that are not necessarily um, 
that can be self-destructive. Well, let me just leave it at that. <laughs> well, that, that is a good place to leave it as we're wrapping up the segment. I wanted to tell you, I, um, I've really been looking forward to this conversation. I, well, when I read you. Ewing, it changed, it really changed my life in some yeah, ways. And yeah. I, I, you, you said something earlier about, it doesn't matter what you call it. It's if, if it's, this window right. dressing and I, yeah. that's changed how I conceptualize everything. And I've really right. been, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this. And well, thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm very glad you uh, asked me in. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. This conversation has been very fascinating and I'm um, so happy that you joined us today. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is the See Me Now Special Edition Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with David Ludlum. And if you'd like to listen to more special edition podcasts, find us on SoundCloud, CMU Now, or on Spotify.